After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day, those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins, with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave drivers shout. The small and the great are there, and the slaves are freed from their owners. Why is light given to those in misery, and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become... And last bit cut off, so unfortunately, you get me. <laughs> For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great to see you. My name's Rowan. I'm the assistant minister here at the Garrison Church. A warm welcome to you if you are visiting. We are in a dark chapter of the Bible. Uh, It doesn't feel quite fitting with the day outside. feels like we should be on the the Dales of Yorkshire somewhere in a, a Charlotte Bronte book of some kind because it is a dark section of the scriptures that we're reading today. Um... But I hope that by the end, that it will be a comfort to you in some strange way as we move through it. Let's uh, pray together as we hear from God. Lord, all scripture is God-breathed, and we thank you for that. We thank you for this passage, and we pray now that as we look at it, that you might 
uh, stir within us a love of you uh, by the invitation we have to speak to you from our hearts with all its rawness. We pray that the glimmers of hope that we see might push us to Christ and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today in Job 3, we enter the the depths of Job's despair. Uh, We're we're sitting with Job in the ashes. Uh, We hear him speak for the first time at length in, in this book. And in a moment, we'll, we'll speak to the context somewhat to, to see what has led to him saying these words. But he gets to the climax today in verses 25 and 26. He says, What I have feared has come upon me. My, my worst dream has come true. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. We see in, in today's passage, Job, he longs for for peace. He longs for rest. He longs for relief. And so he cries out in these extreme words, uh, these poetic words, these words of lament. A lament is an expression of of pain and and sorrow. And they're found in the Psalms and in some of the New Testament letters, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. But here is probably the darkest lament that we know of in in, in the scriptures, along with some of the Psalms. And that might mean that it can seem strange to us reading these words in, in this context. Our culture celebrates uh, the positive and the upbeat. I had to check this, but it was only 2018 where Facebook had another option rather than like. And it wasn't quite dislike, uh, it was more neutral. Uh, our culture largely likes to celebrate positivity and things being upbeat. And often, churches can be the same. And there's you know, good reason for that in the sense that there is good news that we celebrate when we come together in the gospel. There's much to be thankful and positive about. But in reality, each of us sitting here today carries disappointments, grievances, hidden sins, and all matter of of physical and emotional troubles. We're we're broken, and we come as those broken. Some of us have experienced obvious pain, perhaps the death of a loved one, a painful divorce, a terminal diagnosis. But it's not just that, is it, that causes us grief. Often we can be ground down toward despair by just the wear and tear of everyday life. You might feel trapped, trapped in your job, but you can't give it up. You might feel disappointed with life and the decisions that you've made. You may find yourself friendless in a new city or disillusioned about returning to an old one. We all know something of Job's desire for relief, for rest, for peace. And so this restlessness that we read in this chapter is something that although we might not experience in the extreme ways that he does, uh, although it's different in degree, it's same in kind. There's a sense in which every one of us here can tap into how he is feeling, this sense of restlessness. But it affects just more than ourselves, doesn't it? Because it can affect even, even coming to church. Perhaps this 
desire to be relentlessly positive and upbeat means that when, when we don't feel that way, the temptation is church can be an overwhelming place. We feel like we have to have things sorted in order to be here. Well, in both of these situations, today's passage offers us a way forward, but in a surprising way, and not through words of encouragement, but through really dark words, raw words, but we need them and we're better off for hearing them because these are words that provide permission for us to wrestle when things are raw. They, they provide a, a vocabulary for pain or what one author calls the, the vocal cords of God. Words that belong in our individual but also our shared life. So ultimately their presence is a comfort to us despite the content being horrifically bad. And ultimately, there is even a glimmer, even the faintest glimmer of hope in these words when we see that Jesus echoes a lament from a darker place and a more isolated place later in the Bible story. What has led to these words as we consider this passage today? Well, last week we began in Job 1 and chapter 2 and we watched Job, who was a blameless and upright man, suffer heart-rending loss. We listened as Job could not listen, he wasn't privy to this conversation, to the conversation in heaven that lay behind his loss between God and Satan. Satan, the enemy, asked God to remove a hedge from him, a hedge that gave him possessions, the blessing of children and health. The Satan in those chapters said, if, if you got, he only believes in you because you provide him all these good things. Remove these things and he will curse you. And so that is what happens. We get insight into it, Job does not. And so he loses his possessions, his children are killed, his health is destroyed. Layers upon layers of piercing grief for him. Throughout the chapters, it's clear that Job is not being punished for sin, but it's actually the reverse. He suffers because he is upright. He suffers deep deprivation, physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual. But yet we're told that he shows faith. He responds by saying, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the Lord of the name be praised. And shall we accept good from God and not trouble? So these were Job's first response. But today we get insight into the fuller response. We hear from Job's heart and his heart is in pieces. So Job in this chapter is not addressing anyone in particular. This is a lament. It's just an expression of sheer pain and sorrow, raw words of a solitary man, although his friends, we, and God are in earshot. So we're going to look at this lament in three headings, a curse, a lament, an agonised question, and we'll form the substance of our reflection, then we'll close with some things to take away from it. Well, firstly, in these first 10 verses, particularly 3 to 10, we see a curse that Job calls out. And it's not a curse to God, but it's a curse of the day of his birth. Verse 3, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived, that day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May 
no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. And on he goes. Why this rage against the day he was born? Well, we're told in verse 10, for it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. These are, these are, are dark words from a dark place. But even there, Job does not curse God, but he curses the day of his birth, because that is the day of his trouble. Your birthday is meant to, to bring life. We've enjoyed the celebration of, of new births in a community. It's it's a date that you mark. It's a thing that you celebrate. The announcement. And here it echoes God's delight in, in creation where, where there's a language of light, let there be light. But here everything is in reverse. So this day that's meant to bring joy, suddenly Job is saying, let darkness claim it, blackness overwhelm it, darkness seize it. Everything's in reverse he wishes for it to perish. He wants it removed from the calendar. Let that day be barren. And then he goes on in verses 6 to 9 to say, let the Leviathan be raised. This is a, this is a sea monster from ancient imagery. A creature who brings chaos, whose intent and design is to destroy. And he's saying, raise, you know, rouse this Leviathan. Um, so much is my trouble. Rouse it up. He wishes to undo the past, to reverse it. Why? Well, then he would never have known this restlessness and the distress that now he endures. It begins with this curse. But then the next layer is deeper. Secondly, it moves forward to a lament. Life is so intolerable to Job that he would rather have never existed his curse now merges into a desperate lament, cries of anguish, each beginning with, with the question, why? Verse 11 and 12, why did I not perish at birth and die when I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me, the breasts that I might be nursed? He's speaking about why he was allowed to live rather than to die. Even the tender image of a, a child moving from a mother's knee uh, to be fed is one that brings despair for him. He wishes it didn't exist. It's a disaster. And he goes on that only peace can be seemingly found, rest in, in death itself or non-existence. And I don't know here that it's Job necessarily prefers death to the gift of life, but simply that he longs for an end to his misery and he's using extreme language in which to communicate it. Perhaps you felt the same. And the lament continues in verse 16 to 19. Why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from toil and there the weary are at rest. Captives are also there, enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave driver shout. The small and the great are there, and the slaves are freed from their owners. Death, death in scripture is usually seen as a terrible thing, but here it's presented as relief, positive. Something to be 
it's described as something to be almost desired because there it seems that there will be relief from his, minister, his misery. And he knows that he is not alone. He knows that others in the world experience trouble and turmoil. Captives are powerless, slaves. They receive freedom, ease and rest, he says, in death. He longs for relief from distress. So in a sense, again, remember that these words don't so much describe his desire for death than life, but rather relief from his misery. And then finally, we're given an agonising question. We see that in verse 20. He asks why, but in a different way. Why was he given life in the first place? Why is life given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave? Here he longs for, for death like pursuing a treasure. It's a picture of rest, remember, death. It eludes him. Death seems dreamy because his misery would end. He feels the futility of, of life. And then he continues in verse 23. He feels hedged in. Why is life given to man? Why is his way hidden? God has hedged him in, whom God has hedged in. Job, Job in the previous chapters we saw, had a hedge around him which protected him, but he remained in all his goods. Whereas here the bitter irony is that God has hedged him into his, his misery. It's like a, a razor wire, not keeping him out, but trapped inside. One writer brings up the imagery like this. It's like the life of cramped narrowness. Just as the world of an elderly person today gradually contracts from the world to the nation, no longer going abroad, from the nation to the neighbourhood, from the neighbourhood to the occasional walk in the garden, from the garden to being housebound, similarities to COVID here, from the house to the bedroom and from the bedroom to the coffin or casket, Job feels like this is happening to him. He's being hedged in in his, his misery. He's hedged in, trapped, and he cannot escape, and he wonders why God is doing it. What's the point? Is there a point? And so hedged in, Job concludes his lament, with those words that we read earlier. For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. His worst case scenario has arrived. And so all he's left with is sighs and groans. He is devastated. He has no peace, no quietness, no rest, only trouble. And so the question that we're left with at the end of this chapter, but also that emerges throughout the whole book is, will, will Job find rest? Will he find peace in the midst of his misery? Will he find quietness, freedom from trouble? So how, how are we to, to read and understand this as those who read it in light of Christ. Well, sitting with Job, we are forced to ask these questions with him. One of the delights of reading is that we get to enter into the world of someone else. And so, with Job in the ashes, we ask these questions. Where can we get relief, rest, and be found? Where can it be found in the midst of our misery? 
And perhaps his experience has powerful resonances of horrors that you may have experienced, be they physical, mental, emotional, and social. Perhaps you've longed for rest and relief. Well, is Job 3 just cold comfort, or is it just a haunting reminder to us? Well, I think there is, in the midst of this, glimmers of hope for us. See, firstly, we see glimmers of hope in in Job's restlessness itself. See, Job cannot rest with things as they are. He laments, he voices his frustration, his pain. Even in his wishing for things to pass away, he's longing for the brokenness to be reversed. And his longing for things to be reversed points to the fact that rest is not found in non-existence or in the grave, but actually rather beyond it in the resurrection. It's a reversal of a different kind, one that brings life and ultimate happiness rather than death and misery. So even here, this glimmer of hope is that there is the hope of a reversal of this brokenness, but not in the way that he anticipates, but beyond it in resurrection. But secondly, too, we see that Job's loneliness here foreshadows another righteous man's greater loneliness. His darkness foreshadows a deeper darkness 2,000 years ago when another blameless believer was in deeper darkness hanging on the cross. And from his lips came the cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A lament from the Psalms. Christopher Ash writes, because of Job's darkness of soul, it foreshadows the darkness of the cross. There is therefore a hope of rescue for us. It's not a clear picture, but there's glimmers of hope even in the midst of this misery. Glimmers of hope of reversal beyond the grave. Glimmers of hope of one greater than Job suffering greater than Job for us, foreshadowing the cross and the hope of rescue. Well, what can we take away from this for us? Well, I think three things. Firstly, Job teaches us uh, the vocabulary of pain or the voice chords of God, as one person says. It teaches us not to be monolingual in our faith lives. I'll come back to that. See, none of Job's words are inconsistent with true faith. What's interesting is at the end of the book, chapter 42, God says that he spoke of him rightly. So these words aren't consistent with, aren't inconsistent with true faith. In fact, they're perfectly natural for a person of strong faith to be wrestling with these things. His words voice grief, bewilderment, and frustration. Now, there are things that we may have experienced, may, you may be experiencing now, or undoubtedly in the future we may experience, that will bring grief, bewilderment, and frustration. And so these words are a gift to us because they show us how we can voice those feelings 
Rob Forsyth pointed me to an excellent article this week by a Scottish theologian, John Swindon, who describes how five years after he'd preached a sermon at a very difficult funeral for a man, Brian, who had apparently taken his life, a stranger came to him in an airport. You're John Swinton, yes, he replied. You spoke at Brian's funeral five years ago. I just want to thank you. I've never thought of suffering and joy in that way. And I had certainly never thought that it was okay to be angry with God and to speak out that anger and frustration through the Psalms. I just wanted to say thank you. And then he goes on to say this. I left the airport and got on a train to central London. As I thought about that brief encounter, I began to realise that the problem that many people encountered when Brian took his life was that they were speechless. His friends had no effective language to articulate the pain, lostness, and indeed anger that they felt toward the situation and in many ways toward God. They had become monolingual in their faith lives, sure and confident in the language of happiness and hope, but completely lost when it came to the language of suffering, brokenness, disappointment, and in particular, a biblical understanding of joy. The blessing of this chapter is that it teaches us not to be monolingual in our faith lives. Laments give us the vocal cords of God to express pain and disappointment and bewilderment and frustration. It's astonishing if you actually think about it. And so these words should be our words in the midst of pain, but they should also be present in our church and worship. These words belong in our songs, our readings and in our prayers. Perhaps if we heard these words more, we could press in in pain rather than feel the need to retreat. Let's pray for the courage to speak this way. Secondly, Job 3 teaches us to empathise with others. Romans 12.15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Lament creates space for us to mourn with those who mourn. In lament, a sufferer is given God's vocal cords to express grief, bewilderment and frustration. Its place in scripture should encourage us as we take care of one another that we can be a non-anxious presence when someone is in pain. We can sit with someone recognising that disappointments exist, that frustrations, bewilderment and grief can lead to questions and anger, even be expressed to God, and that these aren't a sign of doubt or moving away from God, but may be genuine expressions of faith. So that means that we don't need to retreat from situations when people are in pain. We can sit with them. We can listen to them. That means that we don't need to jump in and, and correct or admonish. Or, but rather we just sit and we can listen. But it also gives us something to say. For laments of the Psalms are prayers with natural movements through pain, complaint, moving to petition and trust in God. So laments give us, particularly in the Psalms, words that we can use to pray for others who are in the midst of these circumstances. 
Prayers of lament in the Bible help us to communicate to one another that we care. So let's pray for the courage to care for each other this way. And finally, Job 3 teaches us not to be passive in suffering. In the midst of Job's great misery, he comes out with cries of protest. He's not passive in his his resignation to, to what is happening. His words are part of his struggle to preserve his faith in the midst of his experience. Never does he denounce God. Chapter 40, 42, we see that he spoke rightly of him. And many of us will, will experience horrors of different kinds. And so we too cannot be passive in suffering, but cry out to God with protests and questions from the place of our bewilderment. We can pray as Jesus taught us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil which is a prayer to be spared of the kind of testing that Job faced, amongst other things. But if suffering comes, here we have an example to imitate Job, to voice our laments and concerns and not give up. As people in the New Testament era too, we have resources that that Job didn't have. We have the spirit of of our Lord who raised him from the dead. It's the same spirit working in us, enabling and strengthening our feeble knees. You can see that in Paul's reading in 2 Corinthians 1. We have the spirit who lets us know of the Father's love and care for us shown in the Lord Jesus. So let's pray for the courage to persevere in suffering. Today's passage is is dark, it's heavy. But it offers us a way forward. These words, these dark words, we we should be thankful that they're part of God's vocal cords. And perhaps we would be better off if we used them more often. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the gift that they are to us and what they express. A desire in the midst of our circumstances to entrust ourselves to you. Father, many of us have experienced or may indeed be experiencing suffering, pain, bewilderment and confusion. May these words be part of that picture of comfort as they can be used to voice laments to you. May we use your scriptures the way that you gave them to us to to groan and cry out for you. But we thank you that your spirit intercedes for us when we don't have the words as well. So would you please uh, bring relief to those in suffering Lord, we ask that you might help us to be a community that cares, that weeps with those who weep. May we have the courage to do so. And Father, would we have the courage to persevere in the midst of our circumstances 
and trusting ourselves to you and the promises that you have laid out for us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.